Now, as we uh, continue in this series we've called 30 Days of Gratitude, I've challenged you and I've accepted the challenge myself of uh, posting a thought every day, and I've just seen Facebook light up, which has been so exciting to watch all the things that people are grateful for as they share it on Facebook. That's been really fun. Uh, and, and maybe you're not a Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, maybe you don't use those mediums, then, then what you can do is just journal it in your Bible or somewhere, write down, maybe you have an app on your phone or something, you can just write down something. And So maybe today's your first time to hear that, and I just want to encourage you, you don't have to do 30 days of gratitude, how about 15? You know, that would, that would be good, wouldn't it? Rather than it be an afterthought at the Thanksgiving prayer, it'd be really cool to engage somehow in your life in this season and to grow in gratitude. And so I want to encourage you, whether you've started or not, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, I want to encourage you to start today. It's a very simple thing anybody can do. Start practicing gratitude. That's really what this series has been all about. Uh, but as we zero in this morning, uh, let, me, let me just set, set up the thought today uh, with this story. There's a man named Paul Tripp who wrote a book called The Journal of Biblical counseling. And in the book, he tells about a time when God shook his heart on a mission trip to India. He'd been to India many times before, but reasons only known to the Holy Spirit, this time was different. He was passing through New Delhi in one of the most horrible slums in the world, and he had become frozen, almost in a trance, staring at this little three-year-old boy who was leaning against a cot where his dying mother was lying. The boy's eyes were hollow, his stomach was swollen, his face was fly-infested. As he stood in tears, what struck him was that neither this little three-year-old boy nor himself had chosen their circumstances in life. Paul was raised in plenty, he was nurtured by godly parents, he was educated in quality schools, he had given his life to Christ at a young age, his life privilege was rolling over and over in his mind as he did his best to help this mom and her little boy. Standing there in the slums, he said, I felt all the complaints I had ever spoken as if they were a weight on my shoulders. I was filled with deeper gratitude than I think I've ever felt at any point in my life. That moment shook him and changed him, and he couldn't get it off his mind. And so when he came back to America... Uh, there happened to be traveling through the country a church leader from India that he met. And still filled with gratitude and still uh, focused on this little three-year-old child, he asked this church leader from India, uh, what do you think about Americans? And the church leader from India said, do you want me to be honest? And with that brokenness in his heart about that little boy, he said, yes. I want you to be honest. He said, well, what I've noticed is, is you have no idea how much you have, and yet you always complain. You have no idea how much you have, and yet you always complain. When it comes down to it, gratitude's not produced by having more stuff. It seems like it should be. It seems like it would be. It seems like the more that we have, the more our gratitude would grow. 
But in reality, it sometimes, most of the time, if not all the time, works the other way. Our gratitude doesn't grow the more that we have. And I think right here in Shelby County, we're an example of it. You, you've heard me say it over and over. Shelby County is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. And it just happens to also be the most affluent, or at least in the top three or four, most affluent counties in the state. The more people have, the less they go to church. So gratitude's not going to be produced by having more. Gratitude's not going to happen to us. Gratitude's a choice. But that's not to say it's a discipline. We can force ourselves to be polite. We can learn a social skill of covering our bases and thanking everyone that we should. But it doesn't mean that we're living in the reality of an internal sense of gratitude. Let me give you a, a simple definition of what gratitude is. Gratitude is our response to God. Gratitude is our response to who God is and His work in our life. It's a response. We, we, don't even, we don't even make it. We don't even produce it. When we acknowledge God's work in our life and we respond to Him with praise and worship and obedience and serving Him and following Him, I'm just going to say I define that as gratitude. It's returning back. It's not forgetting, like forget not, Psalms this morning we read, forget not all his benefits. So this morning as we read that psalm, our hearts rang like a bell. Why? Because it, re it echoes inside of us, God has been good to me. God has blessed me, God has touched me, and it, and it creates, it produces, when I remember that, gratitude. So gratitude is a choice. So the question I have for you this morning is, will you respond to the goodness of God in your life or not? So let me, if you have something to write with, let me give you um, four reasons to choose gratitude. Four reasons to respond. Here's the first one. Gratitude is a gauge of the heart. In other words, our action reveals our heart, right? If somebody invites you over to their house for dinner, they're going to clean the house, they're going to cook the meal, they're going to invite you over. What do their actions tell you about their heart? Their actions tell you that they want to spend time with you, that they're comfortable with you, that they want to get to know you better. If, if we choose on Sunday morning to put off sleeping in, and we choose to arrive and gather with Jesus' family and to worship and to serve and to give. It, what, is the, what do those actions say? Those actions say about our heart that our heart values Jesus' family and his work in our life and his mission. Just like that, when we catch ourselves being grateful to God for the blessings in our life, it reveals that our heart is being drawn close to His. When you find gratitude welling up in your heart, it's not because you're keeping your New Year's resolution. It's not, it's not even because you're doing 30 days of gratitude. It's because your heart is being drawn close to God. Psalm 140.13 says it this way, and I love this first word, Surely, surely, I mean, come on, for real. It's got to be this way, doesn't it? Can it really be a, any other way? Surely the righteous will praise your name. Surely the righteous will. There's two important words, surely and righteous. Those who praise your name don't become righteous. Those who are righteous praise your name. 
Expressing gratitude to God reveals our true heart condition. So how naturally gratitude flows to the surface from your heart shows you where your heart is. The more grateful you are, the closer your heart is to God. The more ungrateful you are, the further your heart is away from God. Now, that sounds simple, right? And it seems like, well, fine. If that's the way it is, then I know how to fix that. I'll just be more grateful, and that'll help me move closer to God. It doesn't work like that. Gratitude's not a human invention. It's not a human fruit. We don't produce it. Being grateful doesn't bring us closer to God. Being closer to God makes us more grateful. Works the other way. So gratitude is then a measuring device to show you how close you are to God. So this morning, how close are you to God? You're no closer than your gratitude tells you you are. If you want to know the most confusing moment in any large family gathering, maybe you go to a big family reunion or something, and next time you do, I'm, going to, I'm about to ruin something for you. And you ever have somebody tell you something that ruins it? I'm about to ruin something for you. I'm about to ruin a moment for you. I guarantee you the next time you're in this spot, you're going to be thinking about it. You go to a big family reunion, a big family gathering, one of the most confusing moments oftentimes is who's going to pray for the meal? Who's going to pray? How are they going to pray? It's like nobody's exactly sure how to do that. Do we ask the most spiritual person to pray because they'll probably be the most grateful or they've had the most practice? Do we ask the patriarch to pray? Is it sort of a chain of command thing because they're oldest? Occasionally somebody will ask the wrong person to pray. You ever been there? And they'll pray in King James English to show everybody how you know, incredible they are and how spiritual they are. Or, or, or uh, uh, they'll ask someone who hadn't prayed in about 15 years. And, and, and then everybody will sort of step back and watch them. You know, they, the, the lightning's going to char. So they'll pull back and go, oh, man. They'll just watch them squirm. And then what do we call it? You know, we call it we're praying over the food. Does, does the food need help of some kind? Or, or does the prayer just hover over the top as we eat, sort of like a glory cloud? Never was sure why we're praying over it. I was always afraid we'd throw the prayer over top of it and miss it. Sometimes we say the blessing. Why does the food need to be more blessed? Is it cursed now? And if we don't bless it, it'll be cursed. Not really sure how that works either. Somebody needs to write the rules down to all this and tell us how to do that. See, I've ruined you now. You're going to go to a next prayer time. You're going to be laughing. You shouldn't be laughing. You ought to be praying, right? A few years ago, several years ago, uh, in our family, we just we took some time off uh, from praying before we ate. And the, and the reason that we did that is because we didn't mean it. And we'd go to pray before we ate, and I realized that this is something I had done all my life, and I realized this is something that we did, you know, as a child when I was in church and at home, and I realized it was just an empty ritual, and it didn't mean anything to any of us, and we really weren't grateful, and we weren't expressing gratitude. We were just trying to relieve the slight amount of guilt we would feel if we started chewing before we did it. Anybody? I see you out there. Just, I, just, I don't really want to be grateful. I just don't want to be guilty. I don't want to feel bad about this. So the first thing we did is we got over the guilt of the ritual. The second thing we did is we got real with our prayers and the purpose for them. And so we stopped to thank God 
for providing for us and we acknowledge him before we eat as the one who provides all good things for us. And there's another level of connection and reality there. And what I just want to say to you this morning is gratitude is a gauge on where your heart is. Now here's the second one. Gratitude's a sign of the spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So this verse teaches us to be filled with the Spirit, and the verses around it teach us what a Spirit-filled life looks like. I just want to highlight a few of those. In verse 19, it says, Build each other up with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse 19 says, Worship God from the heart. Verse 21 says, t- talks about the spirit-filled life being a life of humility and mutual submission. Uh, chapter 5 and 6 talk about the spirit-filled life being a life where godly family relationships thrive. Chapter 6 teaches us about the spirit-filled life as a life where we win victory in spiritual warfare. But there's one we oftentimes overlook, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's human nature, or it's uh, our programming, or it's our traditions. But Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Now you know when you're in a fight, you use the word always and everything and never, right? That's some pretty blanket statements, isn't it? You always do this. You never do that. You always say this. You never say that. I mean, that, those are fighting words, right? I, I, mean, I mean, you don't cover it at all. You don't want to leave nothing out. That's what's happening here. Paul said, I don't want to leave anything out. Always. Most of the time, always. Sometimes, always. Usually, always. Always giving thanks to God the Father for some stuff, for a little bit, for the things I got recently. For what? For everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about gratitude as a sign of the spirit-filled life? We wouldn't, for a minute, believe that a man who abuses his wife is spirit-filled. We wouldn't, for a minute, believe that a woman who cheats on her husband is spirit-filled. We wouldn't, for a minute, think that a person, then, who compulsively complains and gripes and chronically worries is spirit-filled, would we? How can we be full of that and full of the Spirit at the same time? A grateful spirit is a sign that we are Spirit-filled, yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit, as Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in our life. How does that happen? Gratitude is one of the overflowing signs of a spirit-filled life, of a life being lived in submission, under control, and in the fullness of the Spirit. Here's the third one. Gratitude reflects Jesus' heart. One of the qualities that we could easily overlook in Jesus, you know, we talk about his teaching and his parables. He walked everywhere he went and his disciples and his leadership training, and his miracles. But one of the things we could often overlook or easily overlook is his spirit of gratitude. It's noticeable on several occasions. When Jesus sent the 70 disciples out 
and then they returned from their ministry, the Bible says that it was with incredible joy that Jesus welcomed them back and he started giving praise and thanks to his Father that they began to understand what the kingdom was about. And even before at Lazarus' tomb, even before Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus gave thanks to the Father that the Father has heard his prayer. And they hadn't done nothing but rolled the stone away yet. He wasn't back. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he prayed for the bread before they ate it, and he prayed for the fish separately before they ate it and gave thanks to God. When Jesus was facing suffering, I, I think how incredible it is that just hours before his own beating and torture, Jesus stopped to give thanks at least three times during the Last Supper. Now, from a human standpoint, he had every reason to be self-absorbed and to drown in self-pity and resentment, but his actions flowed from a grateful heart. I saw a picture of this when I was about, um, I don't know, maybe I was 19. I was home, or 20, I was home from um, college where I was away being trained for ministry, and we were on our way to church one Sunday, and my mom and my grandmother uh, we're on our way, and my great-grandmother, uh, who was just a, an angel and a saint, uh, was in her 90s by this point, frail, small little woman who just had uh, writhing pain in her body, was suffering, and uh, so we were on our way to church to pick her up, and she couldn't come. She was hurting too bad, and my, my mom and my grandmother asked me, would you just go in and pray with her? And I can remember them uh, sort of showing me the way into her house, and there she was lying on the floor, 90, 92 or 3 years old, lying on the floor just aching in pain because the floor was the, most, the place she could find the most relief. And as I knelt down on my knees beside her little body there, I, I, was, I was just thinking, what am I even doing here? How am I going to pray for her? And I remember she was saying something. She was quoting a verse over and over and over and over. And uh, honestly, I never knew where that verse came from until this week. I went back and looked it up. She said, you do all things well. Lord, you do all things well. She just kept saying it over and over. Lord, you do all things well. She was praying. Lord, you do all things well. You do all things well, Lord. And I thought in the middle of her suffering, she continued to say, you do all things well. I looked it up. That's from Mark chapter 7. It's when Jesus healed a man that was deaf and mute. And when Jesus healed this man that was deaf and mute, and he began to hear and he began to speak, the people who saw the miracle responded and said, Jesus, you do all things well. You do everything well. And, and I heard her, and I realized after all these years, it was, both, it was both a prayer for healing, but also a prayer thanking God for his goodness. God, you do everything well. You do everything good. You don't do anything bad. You're not bad at anything. And, and I, I, I've been so taken by the fact that she was thanking God for his perfect work even in the middle of her suffering. It's an amazing thought to me that nobody took Jesus' life away from him. He didn't lay it down in resentment. Nobody manipulated Jesus' life away from him. Nobody tricked him. He willingly laid his life down in gratitude for the privilege of obeying his Father. Jesus always had that spirit about him. 
Never playing it safe, never presuming, never assuming, living grateful for every moment. Jesus lived fully in the present, never preoccupied. He was fully alive. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to be grateful. He practiced it in his life. Now here's the last one. Gratitude's the path to peace. Now when I say peace, I don't mean mountain cabin getaway, day at the spa, vacation, getaway weekend. Those things are, are nice and they're good and they're helpful and they're healthy and they're fun and they're enjoyable. But what if you can't afford it? What if you don't have the time? Worse than that, what if you actually go, but you pack your worries up in your suitcase and you take them with you and you're no better off? I'm talking about peace that can happen anywhere, anytime, if you know where to look. And let me tell you what will help you find it. Gratitude. If you and I could sit across the table from each other this morning, I guarantee you it wouldn't take you long to come up with what's stealing your peace. Because it, it's right here on the surface. Maybe you're, you're grieving a loss that seems to <coughs> stalk you around like a shadow. Crying yourself to sleep at night over a situation with a son or a daughter that's beyond your control. Maybe today you're facing an issue in your health that just won't seem to go away. Maybe your income's not meeting your expenses. Or you're in the middle of a marriage or a a, a close relationship is in the middle of a painful conflict. Now, we all know that we should pray about stuff like that. But I just want to say to you this morning, praying's not all that you can do. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and if you could leave with only one thought this morning, I would love for you to leave with this one. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Do not be anxious about anything. Boy, that's easier said than done, isn't it? You ever have anybody tell you don't worry about it? Right? Oh, don't worry about that. Well, okay, then you do it. <laughs> Here, you, you take my life. and That's great advice. No, don't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about that. Of course you wouldn't. You're not going through it. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, now here's the thing, by prayer... And petition, and there's two little words there that will change your life. And if you maybe have a Bible, you can write in. I, I'd really encourage you to underline it, circle it. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And, and then if I do that, what will happen? What happens? What happens if I bring the needs that I have to God with thanksgiving? What happens? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, somebody will look at you and say, there's no reason that guy, there's no reason that lady, there's no explanation for why that person has peace right now other than God. Nothing makes sense. Because they shouldn't have any. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes we quote verse 7 without verse 6. And the peace of God, but it's not automatic, is it? 
I mean, you don't just have unexplainable peace 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you don't participate in any way, do you? I don't. If you do, I'd like to know what you're taking. I'd like some of it. It doesn't work like that. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. When we bring our needs to God with gratitude, He promises us peace. Is it possible that we lack peace because we lack gratitude? Beth Moore has rewritten this verse, uh, sort of pretending it was written the way we live, not the way we ought to live. Uh, let me read her version. She says, do not be calm about anything, but in everything, by dwelling on it constantly and feeling picked on by God with thoughts like, and this is the thanks I get, present your aggravations to everyone you know but God, and the acid in your stomach which transcends all milk products will cause you an ulcer and the doctor bills will cause you a heart attack and you will lose your mind. Praise God. Isn't that incredible? Maybe the reason that offering gratitude to God is so important to Him is because it frees us from what we're overwhelmed with and it gets our focus on something other than our needs and it shrinks those needs down to the size that they actually are. In light of who God is. Worry magnifies needs. And gratitude shrinks them. There's a medieval legend of two angels that were sent to earth. One was sent to gather a prayer request. And the other one was sent to collect prayers of gratitude. And, and the angel that was sent, uh, the first angel, found prayer requests everywhere. And he put them in a bag, and then he put them in another bag, and then he put them in another bag, and then he put the bags in a sled, and he came dragging it into heaven with bags and bags of prayer requests on a sled, and each fist full of prayer requests that he found on earth, and he came huffing and puffing and sliding back into heaven. The second angel came back much later, because he had meticulously combed the entire earth, looking in every corner, and all he could find was a handful of prayers of gratitude. It's a legend. Sometimes we're eclipsed by our own needs, and we don't offer any gratitude for the things that God's done. What if our prayers of gratitude were as well-developed is our prayer request. What if our prayers of gratitude were as well developed as, our, as the needs that we pray for? Do you know what the result would be? You don't have to guess. Philippians tells us. Peace. And the kind of peace that is beyond understanding that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I want us to pray. And I want to ask you to...